Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit CARON.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Hello, everybody. It is I, your dark swordsman, wandering the planet, just searching for some fucking monsters to slay. Ooh, Griffith! I'm gonna fuck you up, man. But until I do that, man, I'm gonna just be wandering around and slicing them with my giant sword. That's right, it's me, Guts, the wizard. Kidding, Bruiser, <laughs> Holden McNeely. I've got one eye, man. I've got no hand, bro. I'll fuck you up with my giant sword. Whatever you are, Jake, I'm gonna, I'm gonna fuck you up. Hi, it's me, an average peasant in a dark medieval fantasy setting. I love my family, I love working the land, and I sure as hell love not being a victim of the horrible causality and absence of God. Yes siree, nothing bad's gonna happen to me. There's not gonna be a monster army or some kind of mercenary band full of rapists and murderers or even just a natural disaster that will uh, just really hit home that life is shit and nothing you can ever love will be there forever. Um, Yep, no, I'm just a normal ass peasant. Oh, I'm sorry, I see something in the distance. (laughs) And it's an ancient god king born from the void coming to uh, strike everything I've ever known with lightning and demons. Cool. Later. Bye. Don't worry. I'll avenge you. Oh, fuck. I'm fucking this thing up. I drink the blood. I love the blood. Hi. Uh, hi. I, I, I'm, uh, I'm barely clinging to life. Yeah. Uh, a, a monster uh, kind of uh, took over the brain of my daughter and right, she's eating right. my legs as I speak. It's, I've uh, heard it a million yeah, times. Yeah, yeah. I'm, it's begging, I'm literally begging like, the times. person I loved most in this world to stop murdering me and they can't it's yep. like uh, it's fut- it's futile it happens. Uh, i'm beginning to wonder like maybe this is like the kind of shit you can't just like beat up away i think maybe this re- represents some kind of like uh I don't know, some kind of, uh, I, I don't know, maybe like a nihilistic vision of a world without God that like, you know, you can only hope to navigate through peace and tranquility and to rage against it is uh, foolhardy at best. I don't know, I'm just saying, yep, there goes my genitals, but she ate my genitals. Yeah, fuck that. Time to roll the dice and take a slice. <laughs> and I just got snake eyes. <laughs> yeah, brother, I'll fucking swim in the blood. I love the blood. Man, this one's gnarly. I can tell a very sad thing thing used to be this thing. Oh my goodness. Huh. Just another crazy day for guts in the field. Well, time to kick back and have a Bud Light. I want it. I want it. Gosh, gosh, golly. I'm sorry. I just have a few like desperate seconds of life left as I come to terms with the uh, just 
raw nature of evil and its omnipresence in every aspect of humanity. Can't but, believe how painless this is for you. Go yeah, on. yeah. I just gotta say, like, I, I, you know, maybe you're missing the point of what I'm trying to lay out here. But goddamn, you are so cool. This is so rad. You are so fucking rad. Hell was yeah. that a cannon? In my where your hand was hand, bro. It's fucking amazing, bro, man. Yeah, dude. Bro, that fucking oh, rules. Dude. I shot a giant fucking goat monster in the face of this thing last night. His whole brain exploded, man. We loved God. it. We partied. We ate the brains. It was fantastic. God, man. that's fucking rad. All right, I'm Hell dead. Yeah. Bye. Well, you know what rhymes with guts? That's butts. Time to get some action. Oh yeah. Oh shit. <laughs> and we, we 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 got sacrilegious. We just one of the most sacred. I, I I genuinely mean sacred properties in all of anime and manga. Oh, are we gonna get and we just this with... shat on it? All right, shit. Let me let me back it up for you guys before you turn off the podcast. I'm in love with this franchise. I've read every single manga. I actually got very sad when I found out that uh, Kentaro Miura had passed away when uh you know the news broke that day it was not too long ago what a couple months ago i i i was fast in my resolve to finish the series at that point uh i'd honestly been purposely taking my time as i was relishing in each volume as i read them it was something that was just in the background of my life uh for so many years i first picked up berserk volume 1 i was on a uh i was it was a gig with the cowmen and I'm trying to remember, I, th- I think we were in Baltimore. Maybe I just quit smoking cigarettes. I had just moved into the studio apartment with uh, with uh, my now wife, uh, Lexi. Uh, and I was we went to a comic book store and I was like, you know what? And I mean, Wizard of the Bruiser is, was up and running at that point. So I knew, like, it felt weird to me that I never read besides Akira, like a true blue manga. See, but not, you know, and even that is like a finished thing. Like I wanted like an ongoing series, something, you know, that people, so so I could experience what other people experience when they, the new volume drops and, and they get all excited. So uh, I picked up Berserk and I think largely because obviously if you know me from the show, a huge Dark Souls fan, massive, massive fan of that franchise, huge Final Fantasy seven fan specifically with Cloud and his Buster Sword. And when we did those episodes, I come to find out that they're heavily, heavily inspired by this uh, Dark Fantasy manga called Berserk. And especially Dark Souls got me into a real, really into dark fantasy, like really into like awesome monster design, forbidden spaces, terrifying, you know, events happening to <laughs> exactly the character Jake was playing to just decent normal people. And uh, just it being symbolic of the human struggle of our efforts to overcome trauma in our lives, like all of these things, it just spoke to me so much. And that first volume led to volume two, led to volume three. And every few months, maybe, you know, I was kind of on and off of the series, like to read other things or do whatever, be obsessed too much with other video games. But uh, eventually comes down to it. I'm like in the final stretch Find out Miura passes was like people have been asking for this episode for so long. And I kept saying, hey, I'm this one. I actually I'm reading through it. So I actually want to like catch up completely with the series before I do an episode. And uh, uh, so I did. But unfortunately, it almost felt like it was too late. But it's not, obviously. And we don't know what the future of the series will be. We know, <clears throat> you know, Miura had uh Definitely a staff by this point in his life. When he did pass away, they are all trained up. Who knows? But 
I just think this is a beautiful, beautiful work of art. At the time of this recording, Young Animal, the publisher of Berserk, the manga who worked with uh, Miura for this whole time, uh, had on Twitter when someone was like, hey, what's going on? Said like the uh, future for Berserk is still undecided. Yeah. And uh, I think when we by the end of the episode, we'll wrap up and like actually talk about does Berserk need an ending? Do, mm. Is like, what could it possibly be? Is there a way to, personally, I think the themes of Berserk are so universal and so uh, metaphysically captivating that you almost can't just wrap it up neatly. It, to, to end the story of Berserk would almost to like say that you had an answer for the human condition itself. Mm. And, like, I don't even know if that's possible. Yeah, it's also feels impossible to recreate his art style. Uh, Mira is, like, incredible, and the art is breathtaking. And it's, again, I think what's wonderful about these type of mangaka tales is that, you know, it's, like, one guy, man. I mean, yes, he had a staff and stuff, but, I mean, this came all from his brain. And, yeah, he worked with an editor, of course, a lot, just like all great mangaka do, but... The since you get from reading about especially his fucking work ethic, which is again, you know, probably what had a lot to do with his early passing. Unfortunately, um, it's sad, sad to say, but you know, you look at all that and you realize, like, yeah, he really just put his heart and soul into this thing for years and years. Uh, you know, but did take breaks, of course. Obviously, that's what one of the other things about this particular manga. It's the type that, you know, which I prefer that approach. I'd rather you take the breaks. Yes, it's sad when, you know, something like this happens. Someone passes before, you know, this thing was really going to end. And this thing, by the way, the series was, like, beginning its descent Mm -hmm. to the ending, essentially. Or ascent, whatever you want to call it. It was beginning its its departure (laughs) towards what would be a final landing inning. Uh, But we were still quite a ways away. And it's 40 volumes up to this point. And it's also the only thing, and I'll really cherish this collection even more so now than before. It's like kind of the last thing I've ever, I've, I've really been collecting. Mm. You know, it's, uh, the, my record player situation has been uh, on the fritz, so I, I haven't really been going to the record store la- these days. Uh, you know, I don't really do physical media when it comes to video games anymore, which kind of happened overnight. Though I do have a pretty sick Nintendo DS collection. <laughs> That is in a box somewhere, though maybe I will display that someday. My RPG Nintendo DS collection. So this is really the only thing that I proudly display on my shelf as this thing that, you know, it's weird, too. Lexi would make fun of me, I mean, <laughs> because I'd be, like, reading it before bed oftentimes. There's <laughs> a lot of times, like, that kind of book for me. And she'd just be like, all, all you do is, like, fill your head with, like, horrible nightmares and then you go to sleep. I mean, I'm telling y'all, if you haven't checked out these illustrations, just look up even right now, Google Berserk monster illustrations or monster panels or whatever. And and just look at the designs of just the grotesque, horrific. Ignore the ones with the horse. Just keep scrolling past the horse one. Yeah. You don't need to focus on the horse one. And that, that, that's just the monster design. Like, they're incredible depictions of war. They're incredible depictions of religious persecution, torture, like unbelievable. I mean, they're they're not fun. It's fucking upsetting, but it's like really, really c- incredible, complex illustrations that wonderfully uh, just r- shock the system on some of those full page spreads. And it's like every volume is f- packed with it. It's crazy. So I had to have told this story on the podcast before about mm-hmm. my initial introduction to Berserk, right? But, but please retell, please, because we're doing the episode proper. All right, all right, all right. And maybe this was on a cute. 
I uh, was a fan of anime in in like uh, grade school and high school, fell off, and then I reconnected with it with my college anime club. And uh, I, one year, there was a guy in our anime club who kept wanting to watch Berserk. And the uh, staff on the anime club were just like, ah, maybe, you know, we're kind of like a nice, we're trying to have like a chill vibe. We're trying to like, you know, have a good time. Like, it's a little heavy. It's a little much. <laughs> um and I always like saw ads for Berserk and, you know, knew it was this dark, like violent thing, but I didn't know quite like how extreme it got. Uh, this is the 97 anime. And so uh, the like week that this guy was going to graduate, he finally had enough and he was like, that's it. I'm holding a screening. We're going to marathon this thing. I'll get pizza. Everybody show up to my dorm like lounge and we're just going to do this thing. And so I show up. There's like maybe six to eight people like kind of cycling in and out of this like little lounge area and we're watching the whole thing and I am in it's incredible. It genuinely is. It's the story of the golden age. This, uh, you know, we learn about guts. We learn about his story and I'm, I'm there. It's my entire day is wrapped up in watching anime with these people and uh, the themes are dark. There's a lot of like violent shit. There's a lot of trauma. There's a lot of like things that. Uh, you know, or honestly not like suitable for work, not suitable for kids. And we get to the final episode, which is the eclipse, which we will talk about later. But it is a just orgy of violence and sexual assault and betrayal. And one of it is considered like the most bombshell climax in the history of anime storytelling. It is so masterfully done. And I think we'll talk about it just in terms of pacing and timing. But it is horrific yeah. it is like straight up like beyond Wes Craven like nightmare fuel and at that exact second the cleaning lady comes in to <laughs> walk to like take out the trash in this little lounge and sees a group of mostly uh men hunched over all watching the same television of a graphic monster rape scene and just looks at all of us and just backs out of the room. And I was so goddamn humiliated in that moment that it is seared in my brain forever. <laughs> That's amazing. Uh, yeah, it's it's a real and it's honestly that was a holy shit moment in Berserk for me. That was very similar to like the Red Wedding <laughs> when I read that uh, moment in uh, the uh, Song of Ice and Fire so series. This is so. This is a thesis statement I want to get off the ground, and uh, I know every it's it's a classic Jake thesis. Oh, that's shit. right. Bow, it's a, bow, I got bow, an overarching theory thesis. about this week's topic. <laughs> Gonna integrate it into the discourse. Jake theory. Um, basically, berserk is what happens when you do edge lord shit with actual heart and soul. Mm. When the darkness, when the violence, when the uh, Hatred, when all of the things that like makes an anti-hero actually has reasoning behind it, has heart behind it, has storytelling behind it, has real emotion. Because in any other series, like the Golden Age arc, which is this five years long storyline flashback to actually explain what our anti-hero lost, what our like grim, dark uh, hero actually had to lose and how he became who he was. And it's told in such humanistic detail that like the rest of the story is just compelled by it and you never forget it. It's like, it's like if Frank Castle 
if like the first uh, year of Punisher wasn't even about the Punisher, it was just about him hanging out with his family. Mm -hmm. And it made like the, the killing that much more severe. Like Batman always has flashbacks to uh, his parents getting murdered. But like, we don't spend that much time with Thomas and Martha Wayne. You know what I mean? Like, it's it's uh, every single grim, dark hero on a tale of revenge. You never actually understand that hatred. It's just kind of a filler. Like, why is he mad? Uh, this happened to him, but whatever. Let's get back to cool guns and cool swords and cool violence. And the suffering and the highs and lows that Guts goes through, the uh, moments of hope and perseverance that are dashed with such, like, expert timing, like, this is a story with something to say, and they're going to say it with crazy violence and crazy uh, sexy, uh, sexy, no, not sexy, nudity and sexual violence and uh, cruel, cruel characterizations. And it's just, even though it all has the trappings of just, you know, uh, an image comic antihero with like cool weapons and a cyborg arm, you know, this could have been Cable. Like, Guts could have been Japanese Cable. But he's not. There's something so much more relatable to him. And it's because of Miro's storytelling. It's because of his art. And it elevates which, like, what on its surface could be just another like power trip fantasy story when really it's a story about powerlessness. And it's just so compelling and so good. Jake's theory is now over. So Berserk, uh, here's the synopsis. I think it's the latest I've ever given a synopsis mm. for an episode. But Berserk, manga series written and illustrated by Kentaro Miura. And it centers around Guts, as we spoke about before, a lone mercenary, and Griffith, the leader of a mercenary band known as Band of the Hawk. Uh, and it should also probably be mentioned, Casca is in the mix, Guts' love interest that um, ends up uh, being a huge center part of that whole conflict. Uh, they start as friends and become mortal enemies. Uh, and the way that that happens is the things we've kind of been dancing around. But I should also just say it premiered in 1988 and was still being released upon the sudden death of its creator, Kentaro Miura, in May of 2021. And it is now unclear what is in store for the franchise moving forward, as we said. And it has been adapted into three different anime series. Well, I guess one is like three movies. Mm -hmm. There's the 90s series. There's the uh, three movies that kind of retell the 90s series. And then there's the 2016-2017 adaptation, which can be considered one and the same or separate, depending on what camp, what furious camp you align yourself with. Yeah. The battle of the Berserk anime. No, there's only one battle in the core of the <laughs> Berserk camp, and it's been raging for centuries. Are you a guts guy because you actually listen to what the creator has said? Or are you a weirdo that read a lot of fan translations in the 90s and you still insist his name is Gatsu? Sure, I thought that was completely confirmed. I love Gatsu, my favorite character in Buzukuru. <laughs> yeah, because they definitely just say guts in the 90s anime uh, <laughs> uh, dialect. But either way, uh, let's talk about him. Kentaro Miura before Berserk. He was born in 1966 in Chiba Prefecture, Japan, at the, and at the age of 10, he created his first manga called Muran Ranger, which he published for classmates in the equivalent to a school newspaper. It apparently ran for 40 volumes, but seems available to the public. I searched... People have also searched, couldn't find it. Nero said, all I can remember is that I drew manga first on a notebook for university students during the second grade in elementary school. It was some kind of revelation to please others or to receive praise by drawing was the happiest thing in my youth. 
I guess old habits die hard. My family moved quite often at the time. My drawings enabled me to make new friends in the schools I shifted to. Now that I think of it, it was a time when I already established my identity as a drawer, as a drawer in a way, as a drawer, as a cabinet. And I'm a cabinet. (laughs) And you're a coffee table, Jake. Uh, So yes, this... We've seen this trope before, the moving family, you needing to have some kind of dark art to immediately, uh, you know, show to the fellow classmates to say, hey, quick, easy way for me to just fit in with you guys because we can't get to know each other all over again ever several years. Listen, if you don't got a thing, they tell you what your thing is and you never yeah. let them <laughs> you tell you what your thing is. never let them to choose what your thing is. So you just be, because if you're not drawer kid, you're fat kid. Yeah. You're dumb kid. You're got sloppy lips kid. Whatever, Whatever it is, is bro. you can't let them define you. So you got to cut. It's first day of school. You come in swing being like, check out this chainmail bikini guy, girl I drew and a guy I drew. I drew them both. Whatever you want. I'm the art guy. And everyone's going to be like, oh, cool. Art guy. He leans into this from this age, but really, especially in high school, when he gets this very tight knit group of friends, it, this really is what he uses to stay relevant and to essentially, you know, the competition between the boys is really what pushes him to get better at his art. So in 1977, he put out his second manga, Ken Ino Michi. This translates to The Way of the Sword. Through this time, he was greatly improving on his artistry, started incorporating professional techniques into his work. But in high school in the early 80s, he began taking actual art classes along with his buddy, manga artist uh, Koji Mori. They put out a sci-fi uh, doujinshi, that self-published work. I mean, obviously, all this stuff is pretty self-published at this point, unless it's just going into like the school paper. It was rejected by Weekly Shonen Sunday. I mean, they're just in high school, though. Mira said, in high school, I was in a group full of people saying they wanted to be manga artists, but were actually busy getting girlfriends and getting into (laughs) fights. So they weren't really all that otaku. So I was basically the biggest manga nerd out of the bunch. It was a group of five, and I was pretty much the yellow ranger of the group, lagging behind in terms of emotional growth, but way ahead of the others in terms of drawing ability. I wasn't capable of making a story that would really make anyone feel much of anything, though. But as is the case for most mangaka, he also spent some time at the age of 18 working for notable boxing-themed manga series author Hajime no Ippo, author uh, uh, George uh, Morikawa. (laughs) And as legend has it, he was quickly dismissed from Morikawa's guidance as Morikawa felt there was nothing he could teach that Miura didn't already know, which I hope that that is true. (laughs) That's amazing. (laughs) He was like, you're too good to have a mentor, which is I've never heard before, especially in manga. That is for for the Hajime, Hajime no Ippo guy to say that is quite the pedigree. Yeah, <laughs> there is maybe the only other uh, long running violence uh, manga that has just as much cultural cachet among like hardcore weebs. It's Hajime no Ippo. Also, I'm going to go back to his high school friends later when I talk about the actual creation of some of the characters in Berserk, but they really do translate some of them one-to-one to the book. It really was that crew of dude bros in his high school was the Band of the Hawk, essentially, uh, later on. But before we get there, let's talk about his early career. As Miura was entering the art college of Nihon University, he already had a drawing of a dude bro with a massive sword in his portfolio. He got into art school based on a submission he did called Futatabi, or Once More, which was about two renegade kids trying to survive a dystopian future at the end of the world. It was also submitted to and published in Weekly Shonen Magazine, which got him nominated for the Best New Author Award. Again, as we see with so many mangaka, they win this 
some kind of an award in a month in a monthly magazine yeah. uh, that, that boosts them a little bit and gets them in the door. So after that came another sci-fi manga series called Noah, which ran in Weekly Shonen Magazine. It's also set in a post-apocalyptic era and centers around a dude named Noah who is traveling towards a portal to lead him to salvation, but on the way meets a girl named Angel who needs help and is taken in by Noah. The art is very detailed but not super pleasing to the eye, and his later works would definitely become that. This does have a lot of stylistic and character similarities to Berserk, but also, let's just get right into influences here. It's fucking Fist of the North Star. That's what he was super influenced by. We've got other other big ones, but Fist of the North Star will start there in terms of just art style, but especially, you know, and then, of course, the post-apocalyptic world and that sort of thing. But really, uh, he had this to say about uh, Fist of the North Star's influence. The idea is the most important part of the manga. Uh, and the, and this, in the case of Fist of the North Star, it's that you can put this lone warrior, hits these pressure points on people that literally makes them explode. <laughs> right, Jake? And then a bald guy with an eye patch goes like, well, that was weird. Thankfully, I'm still able to fight and my head won't explode. And then a weird, then there's a sound and then his head fucking explodes. So it's like the idea is essentially maybe even could be termed as the gimmick yeah. in this case, but that's what he means by the idea. Uh, uh, Mira said, the idea is the most important part of the manga. It was a time when the idea was considered to be the core of it, preceding the story or the characters. And Hokuto no Ken, Hokuto Shinken, was a lot more important than Kenshiro's personality. The idea of Hokuto Shinken, once attacked, they explode. That's why it blew us away. So to come up with a novel or fantastic idea was a trend among us mangaka at the time. To me, a mangaka should be able to think of such things things. I milked my brain. That's the grossest, but it's so funny. I milked my brain. <laughs> Such a great phrase. Finally, I came up with the idea of a huge sword. Like unto a raw <laughs> heap of iron. So it was. yeah, there we have that, that, that. There's our first big influence. Second huge influence. I mean, time and time again, he mentions this in interviews. By the way, so many interviews were collected on the Berserk Wiki alone. It, this guy, I'll go ahead and say a phrase right now. This guy gives good quotes. And we're going to give a lot of quote uh, from Miura all throughout this. He did a, quite a bit of interviews and was pretty open about his process. Something is pretty unique for especially the field of manga. Uh, but yes, the other big one, I think, Jake, you'll agree, is the novel series, uh, fantasy novel series, Gwyn Saga. Mm-hmm. And Gwyn Saga is this, I didn't even realize, it is like, one of the long, if not the longest running series of novels ever. The volume count goes into, I think it's like well over 100 at this point. It's right? been running continuously since 1979. Um, but it features kind of this hulking warrior uh, who fights in a trap behind a cheetah mask or a leopard mask. And so he's just king from kinda, Tekken. Kind of fantasy king from Tekken. <laughs> Uh, who kind of walks across this dark fantasy universe. Uh, uh, there's also this, their, their kind of partner in crime is this white-haired uh, child, or I think twins. I was not able to get a lot of uh, information about this. <laughs> I just, just a lot of like cool fantasy art yeah. covers in Japanese that looks a lot like Berserk-style artwork. Sure, sure, totally. He said, uh, this was his quote about it, it is the standard to measure things against. 
So that is a high order from Miura in terms of uh, what Gwen Saga meant to him in his work. And uh, again, like if you're like me and you love Berserk, I may have to do what I did for Dark Souls and Berserk and go back to Gwen Saga and see and enjoy that if there's a, a decent translation. There's very few English adaptations. I think only six wow. uh, chapters or not chapters, but volumes of the series has been brought to America. I'll just do what my genius buddy Keith did who won thousands of dollars on Jeopardy. I'll just learn French to read French novels or that's what he did in his case. I'll just learn Japanese to read Japanese novels, Jake. It's that easy. Do you have to win at Jeopardy first? That feels like a weird <laughs> step to integrate into. I think you can just learn French. Oh, no, no. He learned French to read French novels in high school. He won those hundreds of thousands of dollars at Jeopardy way, way after that. <laughs> okay. Well, as long as you get hundreds of thousands of dollars. that's Way after his 1590 on the SATs. Yeah, uh, yeah. Way, way one after more that. influence that I think matters <laughs> is, um, you know, uh, this is uh, the 1980s, so we've been introduced to a ton of like anti-heroes, like yeah. cool, muscle-bound guys. This is the era of Stallone, of Schwarzenegger, of uh, Mad Max 1 and 2, all kind of coming out at the same time. Uh, desperate situations, post-apocalyptic scenarios, and who stands uh, as a bastion of good in a broken world where society has all but crumbled? A cool, tough dude, usually dressed in black, and that has... Uh, a theme that was highly integrated into manga at the time. Uh, besides Fist of the North Star, Go Nagai was going strong, kind of ushering in the uh, seinen genre, which is kind of like shonen, but with more blood and tits and violence and coolness. Uh, violence Jack and Devilman were a series of his, all kind of had these gruff, violent characters standing astride against like nearly cosmic forces working against them. Um and like, so all of this stuff is in the air. Like the, the, you know, the manga that Miura was reading was all this kind of edgy, violent kind of stuff. Literally a violence jack. Yeah. A huge, huge influence, giant roaming a post-apocalyptic universe. Yeah. Addiction plays hardball. He would hit me with these verbal attacks. I just said to him, I love you so much. You're such an amazing person. I can't take this ride anymore. It was the fact that dad made that sentiment and broke down. And years later, he told me it had a huge impact on him. Sometimes doing what's right for your loved one is the hardest thing to do. Karen is that right thing. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. And so one of the things that he kind of uh, added to this genre was the dark fantasy setting. Because like... I mean, if we're st starting with uh, the prototype uh, edition that he releases in 1988, kind of like a, a pseudo first chapter of Berserk, um, you know, like it's guts. He's there. He's got the big sword. He's got the cannon arm. He's got an eye patch, which is weird. It's weird that he's wearing an eye patch and, not, and doesn't just have the shut, droopy, lost eye. But he's like running around and fighting apostles and, you know, being a dick to them and like chopping them up and the God hand shows up and he's like, ooh, I fucking hate you. And all this stuff is happening. Um, 
the first arc of the original Berserk manga is known as the Black Swordsman arc. It's uh, published in 1990, and it's kind of in media res. Like, literally the first thing we see Guts doing is fucking a hot lady, who sh- and she then turns into, like, a gross H.R. Giger <laughs> yeah, Cronenberg yeah, monster. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, he fu- and he, like, it's implied he, like, chops her to fucking bits while he's still inside her. Like, this is edgy shit right from the be- right from the beginning uh-huh. uh like the first thing you want to know is here's our guy he's a big guy he's a mean guy he's got a cool cannon arm he's got a cool big sword um we run into the snake baron uh we kind of see the, uh, some peasant fuckery just a lot of peasants getting fucked over also should be noted he even he talks about this just called snake baron doesn't yeah. even have an actual name like <laughs> it's just very like uh ham-fisted in the beginning. But it's very classic seinen edgelord shit where it's, you know, fist in the north style, a bunch of evil dudes are doing evil shit, a guy dressed in black walks in and goes like, hey, cut that shit out. And everyone goes like, what? Who is this guy? And he starts doing cool shit and everyone goes, how can a human being do all this cool shit? And he wins the day, but like an innocent person also dies and he feels a big sad about it. And like the humans that he's saving are beyond redemption. It's a very dark cynical world um and uh about a year into these kind of stories uh we're introduced to the god hand we see all these uh these spooky cenobite style uh characters including uh void who has a big dumb brain and like a face that's ripped open uh ubik and slan who are like little chubby weirdos or no slan's the hot girl with the bat wings Uh uh-huh um all of these like evil demon characters that are supposedly running things behind the scenes. The Cenobites, yeah. Um, all kind of named after classic uh, sci-fi stories. Slan is a famous uh, old sci-fi story. Ubik is a uh, uh, blah, blah, blah. We did an episode on the guy. Why can't I remember his name? Now uh, I can't uh, remember. Minority Report guy. Re- Why can't oh I remember God. his name? P- P- Philip K. Dick. Yes, Philip K. Dick. Uh, so fun, nerdy stuff. And just when things are going wrong, we get a, like, pretty much the equivalent of the record skip, like, yep, that's me. Bet you're wondering how I got into this mess. Yeah. And it goes right into the Golden Age arc yeah. for the next five. So we got one year of fun edgelord shit. Yeah. And then five years of actually answering the question, like, why is he so mad? <laughs> Who are these people? <laughs> why does he, like, how did he, where did he get the big sword? Who the fuck is he? Like all these things that like an edgelord kind of story would never bother to tell you and instead spends five fucking years letting you know about his family, his friends, uh, his childhood trauma, his motivations, his wants, his needs, like how magic works was introduced to this reality. Like everything about this, like, like literally you learn that the dark world that uh, we were introduced to, it wasn't always like this and how it, how the world came to be what it is in this thing. And it is considered pretty much the golden standard. Like almost, you know, almost every, you can't talk about Berserk without talking about this arc. Yeah. Uh, that's what they base the uh, 97 anime on. And then the three films. And then the yeah, three after, films. yeah. You know, uh, Holden, what about like, to you, what is good about the Golden Age arc? Like, what what stands out to you in in that in those series of stories? Well, you know, we already talked about like the big shocking twist with the uh, eclipse, right? I think the thing that was maybe most fascinating before that, leading up to the eclipse, is a lot of 
the motivation for Griffith's character to get to the eclipse is this heavy, disturbing torture segment (laughs) for Griffith. Like, I think one of the coolest things too with with the whole situation is like you've and and I, I've actually I have some great quotes on this from his childhood, which we'll get to in terms of creating guts and Griffith, right? But even growing up, you kind of had the like underdog type, and you had the like pretty boy who kind of has everything going for him type, mm-hmm. right? And I feel you like any nerd, any between, nerd has that but, one friend that they're like, I wish yeah. I was cool like this friend. And what's kind of funny is like, and even Mura says this about himself, sometimes you're the guts <laughs> and sometimes you're the Griffith, you know? And I've gone back and forth now, like in my career, as a kid in school, like I got to feel what it was like to be both. I got to be the Griffith in college, starting in sophomore year, mm-hmm. right? And so seeing those two types of interact with each other and then to have this uh, uh, situation go down with Griffith where, you know, and it's very much him. He did it to himself, uh, essentially, but he'll blame Guts, but he finds a way to blame Guts for it, just like we all do, right? Mm -hmm. We all find ways to blame everyone else for our problems. And, uh, you know, this torture scene was so fucking brutal, man, like so brutal, um, that it was a real eye-opener. And then just to go from that point, you're like, oh. And that's kind of cool, too, to feel that in a manga series where you're like, oh, we've gone past the point of no return for these characters. There's no going back mm-hmm. to the way it was. There's no remedying this. This will forever shape this human being, mm-hmm. you know? And it first happens with Griffith through the torture thing and then obviously through the whole, you know, activating the egg thing. Uh. <laughs> okay, let's talk about the eggs. So uh, within the cosmology of Berserk, there is a chapter of the story which really gets in deep into it, and Miura actually removed it from the canon. It was published once in Young Animal and then never brought back in the uh, kind of uh, compilations. But it kind of breaks down to the fact that like the unconscious desires of mankind uh, – are made real through the forces of causality. That every selfish instinct, every self-preservation, every uh, dark thought and weird kind of backstabby notion you have, uh, it, it fuels an ancient being in the heart of the abyss, and that being releases these eggs into the world that have fucked up scrambled faces on them. And when a chosen person is given the egg, which they always will find their way back to it because it is fated for them, in a moment of selfishness, they can invoke its power and become an insane monster person called an apostle. And um, uh, sometimes, every couple hundred years, a special egg is given, and that person gets to join the God Hand, which is the elite demon squad. And it seems like... Above and beyond almost any attempts of our heroes to fight against it, like the, the, the causalities and the influence of the God Hand and the Dark Void will make bad things happen in our world. Um, later, they get into the magic system of this world, and it turns out like things like unicorns and fairies and trolls are themselves born from human imagination and can cross over into our world. So like one of the core things in Mura's universe, which I find fascinating is that all of the bad shit is born from us. The monsters, the uh, demons, everything is unconsciously birthed from our own consciousness. And 
the only way to fight it, I think, this is my interpretation, the true answer isn't just to like find the head demon and whack it with a big sword until it's hamburger. It's like humanity itself has to want a better world. But that's just me rambling. <laughs> um, the Golden Age, uh, you know, we're introduced to a whole cast of characters. We're shown Guts's childhood, which is traumatic. He is born on a battlefield in a pile of blood, literally falling out of his dead mother, kind of Conan the Barbarian style. He gets, uh, you know, he falls in love with Casca, this tomboyish girl who's a, a loyal soldier in Griffith's army. He learns to trust Griffith and kind of take his cause as his own. Pippin, uh, 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 not Serpico, Serpico's later. Mm -hmm. uh, who's like the little blacksmith guy? Oh, geez. It's been a while. There's so uh, many characters, the but like you grow to know this family. And as uh, Griffith's political ambitions kind of backfire on him and he gets a little too big for his britches, Guts kind of realizes that he wants to find happiness on his own and that, you know, maybe his life should be lived for himself and he should move past uh, all the bad things that happened to him. And a lot of really bad things happened to him. And the, uh, in a really touching scene, he kind of shares his feelings with Casca. Casca shares his feelings with them. They make love in the forest. And they kind of agree that, like, after they rescue Griffith from this uh, torture uh, tower of rebirth, I think it's called, um, they're going to go their separate ways and just find happiness together. And that's when Griffith activates his big spooky evil egg <laughs> and literally kills all of Guts's friends. Yeah, he. Uh, it's it's rapes the red. It's the Kaska. red. Yeah, rapes Kaz. It's the red wedding of yeah. We, yeah. Just, we and I don't mean to breeze past what Jake just said. That's probably the biggest plot point. He does that in front of Guts, and uh, this is the core motivation now. There's no going back. There's no debate between fans about whether or not, you know, who's who's on the right side of things. I mean, that just draws the line in the sand. And now it is sets guts on a path of revenge uh, while also attempting to bring his traumatized girlfriend back. I mean, would be girlfriend back uh, from a complete state of just she's just like a mute that's like aimlessly wandering for the next several, several volumes. It's it's a twist of the knife that is so effective and so brutal. And in the manga, they actually do a brilliant thing where they introduce like kind of a, a villain called Wild, who's like this big monster guy and Guts like defeats him and goes like, OK, uh, I think that was the big trial people were warning me about. Yeah, everything's going to be a OK. And then a bombshell. And it's so traumatizing. It's so brutal that it carries 25 more years of story that hurt that but that uh, just horrible horrible scene like is carries out yeah like i said 25 more years of story and motivation and it's brilliant well you see a giant skull knight uh saves guts and berserk from the eclipse event uh and that's a fun situation because it's what it sounds like. It's a big knight with a huge creepy skull. Mm -hmm. It's Ghost Rider the Knight. Uh, but uh, he purposely actually kept Casca alive and with guts because he knew he needed that to carry the story forward mm -hmm. for the next several years. He knew he if Casca were to have been terminated along with the rest of the buddies, then it would be more of like kind of trying to make peace with something that happened in the past as opposed to trying to gain revenge against something that's right in his face mm -hmm. every day because uh, this person's now forever changed and uh, unable to be the person that he even fell in love with, you know? But uh, yeah, I, and, and then it goes way, way further past that. And 
there's so much to it, and and all these moments of levity get added to the series. Now we can talk a little bit more about the different arcs, but I wanted to go back to this quote because I liked what you were saying, Jake, about how like oh it starts off we get like one year of dude bro, and then all of a sudden these like beautiful little like layers get added on. I think it's because he widened his scope as a mangaka in order to pour more interesting elements into his story and actually diversify and separate himself from what was the standard kind of fist of the North star dude, bro, violent <laughs> fair of the time. Uh, Mira said, when you're just an ordinary manga fan, not aiming to become an artist yourself, you get to choose whatever manga you like and read within your own safety zone. When you're trying to become an artist yourself though, that's not wide enough. You won't make it. So there was a time that I was trying to read as broadly as possible, which there's a limit to. But I'll try to read basically anything that wasn't painful to read, anything that people recommended to me, anything that was popular. So there's element, there's different elements of humor, and especially with Puck, his like little fairy that follows him around. Mm-hmm. Yeah, he started finding all these other notes and things. So that's why like the townsfolk feel so real. The relationships are feel so, uh, you know developed there's romantic stuff going on there's more vulnerable stuff going on and again we talked about how you know even his core motivation to start out with uh was a sexual assault and something that just wasn't as normal you wouldn't normally see the badass dude main character of a story series like this have those kind of vulnerable events happening to them and i think it just made this i think a much more interesting much more complex story uh, the conviction arc, uh, going back to influences, the conviction arc, which would happen later, which is one of my favorite arcs because it's like the religious oppression arc, essentially, and the main bad guy in that uh, that series is fantastic. He's literally like square. He's like literally a square. He's just a meatloaf. He's just a big yeah. religious meatloaf of a man. It's so funny. He's like so pure, purer than thou. I love the way the way that Mira warps these different things. Uh, that A lot of that came from the film The Name of the Rose, starring Sean Connery and F. Murray Abraham, a murder mystery set in a medieval abbey back in 1937. It was filmed in the mid-80s, and it looks awesome, and I want to watch it now. Uh, of course, it's no surprise, as you were mentioning, I called them Cenobites earlier, those demons. Hellraiser, the Hellraiser film series, big influence on the horror aspects in, in the manga. Uh, Yeah, and just a lot of the weird psychosexual gory depictions, very Geiger-esque as well. I'm sure Alien and Geiger were a big influence as well as Clive Barker. Uh, In terms of art style, Mira, and this makes a lot of sense if you've read the uh, manga, big fan of MC Escher's illusory black and white works. Uh, The real world, however, and this is what goes into, again, kind of what you were talking about, how brutal the things that happen in this world are. The thing is, is that it really all came from our world. And Mira watching the news, Mira said, an average working man living in an average world would have a personal problem. He'd be worried about how his kids are doing in school. But I live in isolation, watching the world only on the news on TV. So I start to see the bigger picture. I can look at the world from another angle. I'm not talking about one specific event. If I see news about war in another country or if there's a massacre somewhere in Japan, I just look at the world objectively. Religious cults or acts of atrocity have been the topics of the news recently. When I hear those stories, not that I want to find some kind of answer, but it makes me want to visualize what's happening. I just want to see it in my world, in my own way. Um, I just wanted to point out that uh, 
This was ha- the conviction art started in 1997, and uh, the Umchin Rikyo attacks would have been fresh in the news. And also, mm-hmm. Japan is known for all of its like kind of neo modern cults, so it it all kind of makes sense. It's also important to note that uh, Miro never really had a plan, and I think that makes a lot of sense, right? Because if what we just said that he's looking at the world around him and he's pouring that into his his storytelling, and he never had like a specific. Obviously, again, we go back to that first year of material and it's just it's just like here's my badass dude bro manga and then it becomes something else entirely as he pours more and more time and energy into it mira said at first i didn't have any advanced plan i just thought to do a shonen fantasy manga with a dark hero because the manga of mine that had received a prize was published in a shonen magazine the hero that suited shonen magazines and well there weren't many fantasy manga at the time if i had to name any just bastard Mm -hmm. which we've talked about bastard before very, very important. Actually, big influence. Uh, oh, what was there? What were they recently? Was it Ru- the Rush episode? It was, to remember. I don't think it was Rush. It was probably okay. the last Japanese thing we did. So I thought about going for a niche genre, but that's all. I couldn't see further than that. It was my first serialization not based on an original work. I didn't know what to do. Uh, first of all, I focused on creating an atypical hero. So essentially... He combined a bunch of sci-fi drawings and fantasy doodles from his school to create his school days to create guts. Mira said the initial image of the knight was nothing more than a black knight with an artificial arm. Other things were inspired by various sources. For example, the the appearance of the character came from science fiction. Basically, each element came from something different. The huge sword was actually inspired by Shinji Wada's manga Pygmalio, which features a boy wielding a sword roughly the size of himself. Not a whole lot of uh, resemblance to Berserk outside of that, just that basic design. Mira said, uh, also, I think it was the Gwyn Saga spinoff, The Snow Queen. There was this illustration of two or three meter tall giant wielding a sword. Guts' sword is a cross between those two. It's just the right size to be still somehow carryable while giving that close to the action feeling of violent men's manga. And for the name, he said, I thought about a name for a shonen manga hero, and I thought that a voiced sound would be good for it. Besides, Guts sounded somehow like a German name. I liked it as well, so I took it. There already existed many cool uh, names or names that went well with fantasy stuff. It was simply because I thought the name would suit a shonen manga at the time. Nothing more. However, there's one thing I learned later. The German word for cat sounds like kat, kat or gat, which sounds similar to guts. I thought it's also good that it can bear some atmosphere that evokes a wild cat. I learned about this coincidence a long time afterwards, though. Wait, 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 wait. Cat guts started as cat because the Gwyn Saga guy has a cat head. That's hilarious. That, yeah, yeah. Isn't that funny? So, But that was, again, it was like an afterthought. There was also some famous badass warrior guy named like uh, Gutso or something like that in, in uh, Western Europe. But again, he found out about it later. Are we sure Miura didn't uh, read that Doom comic book that everyone memes about how uh, the guy is like, oh, you, you're huge. I bet you have huge guts. Rip and tear. Are, you, are we sure that didn't happen? Didn't happen at all, Jake. But all I right. am sure. I am sure that Mira wanted to do one thing different that he was seeing that didn't exist in other fantasy uh, middle medieval, you know, kind of manga of the time. And that is he added the age of cannons to mm. the world. He wanted there to be explosive devices, guns, that sort of thing. Mira said, there are rough things in the very early Middle Ages, but brilliant things like the Palace of Versailles are far after that. In the end, I created one age that looked like it spanned from the early Middle Ages to the end of the Middle Ages in Europe. So essentially what I'm saying here and what he's saying there is that he wanted to sort of 
put a mishmash of different things from different time periods that span the entire Middle Ages all up against each other. And so if you were a history person looking at this, you would be like, oh, this is so all over the place in terms of the technology and the construction and things like that. But because he was like, this is my fantasy manga, I'm just going to do what I want and put in the elements I want. Mira said, some historical elements are taken as they are, but in some parts, the age of Dracula and that of Joan of Arc are set together a little bit. In that regard, at some point, I thought it would be good to make the characters wander around Europe. So it's almost like a historical manga in certain ways, but he really likes to stay way, way steeped in those fantasy tropes to break away from that. In the same interview, uh, he has a great quote about this kind of mishmash period because um, uh, I think it's actually kind of brilliant. Uh, So European, this is from the interview. So Europeans might look at this and say, what the hell is this? Well, I think that's just the way foreigners also see us, Japanese people. It matches the case personally. I'll read a Western thing and say, wait, what are ninjas doing there? That's a whole different time period. And it's okay because I'm just drawing my work to please Japanese people. I really don't have a strategy for the global market, which is <laughs> ironic. Uh, very good. And then what another thing I love is about the monsters when it comes to the world, he leaves that stuff completely ambiguous, except for that lost chapter, Jake, which you can maybe tell us about a little more so. But Mira explains, if they're defined with words like gods, demons, or something, it feels like the world uh, is limited, revealing everything, and there's no room for extension. Anyway, these things are kind of what humans created, and they are what humans' spirits are materialized as. This is a question like, who was the first between the chicken and the egg, though? All of them are a mirror of humans. I think their image should be no more than that. I only want to use them as an element that readers can sympathize with. And uh, yeah, that's one thing I love about the monster design that I feel like also Dark Souls does a really good job of depicting in a lot of their monster designs is the monsters look sad and tragic and they're like trapped inside their like monster skin and they're all like in pain and writhing and all they're also deadly and they're terrifying but like in this bizarre melancholic way that I really love all the all the apostles are like a mishmash of like 800 different forms of animal genitals and like all the spooky bits of other animals whether that's like the gnashing teeth of like a hippopotamus or the claws of a tiger all and or the stinger of a bug all mushed into this one chimeric fucked up thing. And always there's just a sad dude face somewhere near the top going like, oh, oh fuck. Oh, no. Ew. Yeah, ah. it does resemble the Full Metal Alchemist yeah. uh, chimera for sure. Mira said, OK, so for better or worse, monsters constantly appear in Berserk. And there's an old trope that the reason monsters are violent is because they're sad. People like Tim Burton have really nailed that sort of thing. He's a big Tim Burton fan, by the way. The sad but scary. It's something I want to do, too. And then you look at modern Japan for sad and scary, and you've got people who turn to crime or are on the verge of it, or at least or at least scared that they might turn to it. And that's something that I want the reader to sympathize with. By the time you're in high school, I feel as like everyone has this fear they might do something bad someday or have something bad done to them. It's something I still vaguely feel, even at this age. I think people these days tend to try to exclude anything that's different from themselves. It's the me generation. But we can't let ourselves forget that there are a lot of people out there who can't speak for themselves. I will say it is interesting how the apostles work in the world of Berserk because it's always um, a human being who made a choice to become a monster for power. It is always a conscious decision that they 
received the behelet and were like, yes, let me do this. I want to like, I have uh, either I yearn for power or I fear uh, my own weakness or something. And the fact that like Guts is our average guy, you know, our, our point of view character, and he hates what the apostles have done to them and that the apostles kind of, or at least in the earlier arcs, the apostles are just like out there in the world kind of living with impunity. And he is the only person that is even aware of their existence and wants to hunt them down and kill them is a very populist kind of uh, sentiment. The idea that there is a shadowy cabal of literal blood drinking monster people running shit behind the scenes. <laughs> and um, it gets a little bit more complicated when uh, we get to the Millennium Falcon arc, which is 2001 to 2009, where we're just following Griffith for a real long time. You know, we kind of get to see the shades of gray. We get to see that with the power and his ambition, he's like helping people's lives and he puts together a new band of the Hawk. And we kind of establish that like um, Griffith is like more of a gray character than we originally thought. At the same time, Guts gets the Berserker armor, which yeah. is this kind of uh, power level upgrade that gives him the ability to like actually take down some of these more impressive monsters. But it's killing risk, him at the risk of his own body. Yeah, exactly. You can't wear it too long. You get, you get trapped in it. It'll fucking die, man. I love it. Uh, when he's fighting, uh, what's his name? Grunbeld. And they show that the armor is like stitching his bones together with iron spikes while he's still fighting. <laughs> like, yes. So good. Also, I love that you said the Millennium Falcon arc. Uh, it is actually called the Falcon of the Millennium Empire arc. But yes, that's definitely a nod towards uh, Star Wars. And Mira is a huge Star Wars fan. And I was also so happy to see that he definitely also thinks the prequels are bad, uh, which is very nice. This is the same arc we're introduced to Ganishka, yes. which is uh, this kind of pan-Eastern, Persian, every spooky Orientalist uh, empire thing you could think of all kind of rolled into one. And uh, it's a very impressive villain. He has like so much bullshit, so many crazy uh, magic attacks and monsters and all these, you know, secret assassins working behind the scenes. And it's just literally the fact that Mira built up Griffith so much that like to be a match for him, he had to create an actual like towering, imposing monster god of a king to fight against. And it's tons of battles. This is when the art is like really going off the rails. This is where you're seeing like these splash pages of nearly impossible like armies of monsters all with their own distinct design fighting thousands of troops all in these amazing vistas. It's like incredible artwork. Um, we This is also where uh, around 2009, this is when Guts gets on the boat. Yeah, yeah. Which the is classic. one of the biggest memes. Mm -hmm. This was when I was uh, keeping up. You know, this was when I was like kind of getting onto the weebier side of the internet. The meme was always: "Is Guts still on the boat? <laughs> Where are they now? Why is he still on the boat?" Yeah, <laughs> and it's kind of uh, it's about how many. It's like uh, the you know up until recent, up until a few years ago, like for about eight years, Guts was technically on a boat while like all other stuff was happening. <laughs> And, it, you know, people were, like, almost making fun of it. Mura's schedule uh, was kind of very intermittent at this time. He would go on long hiatuses, which, given the scale and the detail in the art, you almost understand. But it's also so frustrating because, you know, you just want to keep reading these stories. Uh, but this is the, around the two, around this era of the 2000s, the 
Guts was on a boat. Updates were rare, and it was the suffering of Berserk fans all the world over. Yeah, I didn't really experience it that much. I mean, the only thing that upsets me is that, like, we, yeah, we stayed up, maybe stayed on the boat so long that we, I wish we'd gotten more other story in before his passing. But besides that, I breezed through it because I just read the volumes, like, I just, like, blasted through them. So I didn't feel that years and years of, like, longing and anticipation for him to get off this fucking boat. And I thought some cool stuff happened while I was on that boat. Like, oh, the un- sea god fight is incredible. Unlike Tyrion on the boat, <laughs> like, shit shit actually happens while Guts is on. Like, there's really cool sea battles that happen on that boat, which I thought was very well done. Very, very cool. Hi, Max. I wanted to share something with you. I wanted to tell you how grateful I am and how you've embraced your sobriety since day one. I'm grateful for how you changed your life. I'm grateful for the love you have for me. I'm grateful for you. Love, Mom. If your loved one is still struggling with addiction, you might not feel like you'll ever get to grateful. But we can show you how. At Karen, we've helped families overcome addiction for 70 years. So if your loved one is ready for something different, visit caron.org lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia. Can we talk about the uh, adaptations or the at least the animes for a second? Yeah, let me let me get let me get through a couple more things really quick uh, on the manga side, and then we'll we'll get to the adaptations. I just wanted to go back really quick because I thought this was fascinating and talk about some of the uh, some of the inspiration for Guts and Griffith. There was uh, a big group of friends, like I said, they all pushed each other to compete to best each other. Mira said there really was a guy similar to Judo. There was a Corcus too and a Rickert. There's no Casca, though, since it was a group of guys. And then Pippin is me in terms of physical appearance. They also had a guy in the group, though, that acted as the leader and had a bit of both guts and Griffith in him. I just love this, this little quote here. He was very much like Griffith in terms of ability. He was the type who put his money where his mouth was, and he even had a bit of that touch of the divine feel to him. In terms of violence, though, I'd say he was very much like Guts. Apparently, he would just fight all day and then show up at Mira's place and draw manga with him all night and then on no sleep go into work in the morning. And Mira was just trying to keep up with him by being the best at manga. And he finds out later this guy just wanted to be as good as Mira at manga and didn't care about being the cool guy that fought everybody and all this kind of stuff. Mira said, so then in university, he gave up being a manga artist and he decides he'll do things that the rest of us will be jealous of. Sleep with 100 girls, get hired into a first-rate company, that sort of thing. And he manages to pull it off. Then he becomes an illustrator and starts put up pulling in tens of millions of yen a year while he's still in his 20s. But it's still manga that he wants to do. So in, he, so in the end, he throws it all away and starts from square one in the manga industry. See, so up to that point, he's Griffith. But then from there, he falls and re-examines what it is he really wants to do. And so in that sense, that makes him guts right? Maybe Griffith and Guts are symptoms that affect boys. When a boy seriously tries to do something, he could be become either one, which I think is a brilliant, brilliant way to dissect that. Also, um, just here's his work ethic, and we'll get back around to this when we get to his passing. But like most mangaka... Uh, his schedule was crazy. Mira said, as for my usually da- daily routine, I get up around 7 to 8 p.m. 
I start to work around 8.30 to 9 p.m. I work and then eat. Then I work again until the next break at 3 a.m. When I take one meal, hmm, until 3.30 a.m., I watch a video that I recorded on that day (laughs) while eating. And then I get back to work. After that, I have my last meal at 6 a.m. and work until around 12 p.m. until 1, 2, or 3 p.m. at the latest and until 11 to 11.30 a.m. at the earliest. It's my normal working routine. He would sketch around six pages a day and the inking process gave him the most trouble. He watched TV or listened to music while he worked, except for when he works on storyboards. Uh, That is his quiet time. So he works through the night, doesn't see the sun much, is on constant, a uh, constant regimen of coffee, tea, and water. He literally drinks coffee till his stomach hurts, then switches to tea until his stomach hurts again, then switches to water until he feels better, then goes back to the coffee. Uh, and he would rarely go on holidays. That's their term for vacations ever, especially during the like height of his output schedule. When asked if this is an okay way to go about life by the interviewer, he says, I think my rhythm enables me to manage it. I'm a manga type and suitable to be a mangaka. Though it's hard to work without holidays, I don't have much trouble leading my own regulated life. Instead, I'm not very good at concentrating intensively on work when there's little time left until the deadline. All this to say sounds like way too much. (laughs) And so, and there's, you know, we talk about overworking in the gaming industry, but man, those mangaka, I, I, honestly don't know how they do it and i do think that that did maybe play a part in his heart literally ripping in half uh just his aorta which just his aorta just the uh, aorta but uh yeah anyways i think yes i think it's time to talk about the 90s anime adaptation jake okay so uh this is the one that most people point to as kind of the better version um or at least the most beloved version for a couple of reasons um it's covers the entirety of the golden age arc we get one episode of kind of black swordsman shenanigans then we go to the flashback and this uh it's kind of peak 90s anime animation cell you know painted like all you know no cg nothing going on and it te- it gives the story enough room to breathe you get to know all the characters you get to kind of fall in love with casca and rickard and pippin and corcus and all these people um you feel the shock of a uh, kind of horror when Nosferatu Zod shows up and like you learn alongside Guts and Griffith that like, oh shit, giant powerful demon people exist in this world. And you kind of get all the right notes uh, for this uh, show. The violence is real. The fights are real. It's really incredibly well done. And what I love about this one is uh, that the <laughs> animation, it was produced by OLM, which is short for Oriental Light and Magic, in 1997. Uh, they, it's just an anime company. They do lots of other things. But in that same year, in 1997, OLM was responsible for another new anime production besides Berserk. And that was the first season of the Pokemon anime. Director of uh, Berserk, Naohito Takahashi, uh, has since gone on to direct and storyboard several of the Pokemon movies. So, like... If you go back and watch the Berserk anime and you see like horrifying shit like Donovan and Gambino, you see the betrayal at the Tower of Rebirth, you see all this fucked up shit happening. Just know deep in your heart at the exact same time, half of those people were also like working on the Squirtle Squad and like (laughs) Caterpie and all this shit, which is so fucking funny to me. (laughs) If you have like just a love for 90s anime production, you will absolutely love it. It's not as flashy as the later movies, but it definitely has heart and it's definitely a great way to kind of 
in, uh, take in the uh, story of Berserk. Well, it's just the style of the animation at that time suits the manga the best, right? That yeah, dark, yeah. gritty, you know, ed- edgy style of the 90s. Um, also, as also key to the success and what makes this uh, show uh, exceptional is the music by um, Susumu Hirasawa, who was kind of this like out there electronica ambient artist who was, uh, you know, kind of had a mild success with kind of new wave ambient albums, but they gave him this kind of uh, dark fantasy European setting and he did incredible things with it. And it really elevates kind of the sorrow and the heart behind the Berserk universe in a way that like, uh, okay, okay, here's, here's, here's what I'm going to do. This is, this is how I'm going to highlight what makes uh, Hirasawa's music so exceptional for Berserk. Uh, for example, if we have an edgelord character, uh, you give him like a badass theme. You make him sound real cool. For example, uh, if you could play the first few bars of the Duke Nukem theme song, Duke Nukem's theme. Peas stored in the balls. The classic, classic. That's (laughs) what you normally give your dark anti-hero power fantasy character. This is what Hirasawa gives for Guts's theme. Play a little bit of that. Such mourning, such loss, such like genuine, you feel for this character in that piece of music. Uh, Even with all that going on, you're introducing stuff like bagpipes and Gregorian chanting and all these like powerful kind of old Europe sounds into the soundtrack. Uh, The breakaway hit, I think, of this first 97 soundtrack is Forces which is also by Hirasawa. This has uh, been remixed to death. It's almost as, it's pretty much as iconic as Guts theme. Uh, if we can play a little bit of Forces also. Hirasawa's soundtrack is so iconic that they go back to him every single time they've revisited this thing. He's worked on the Dreamcast game. He's worked on the Musou game. He's worked on the movies. He worked on the uh, uh, 2016 slash 2017 CG anime. And it's just like, you cannot tell the story of Guts without this guy's music to the point where Miura himself said that he would listen to the soundtracks done by Hirasawa to kind of get in the mood while he was inking the uh, comics themselves. So for the 90s Berserk, I'm not sure if you can find it anywhere other than those websites, uh, unless you have a Crunchyroll subscription. But uh, I will say the Golden Age films, I will throw it out there, they retell the Golden Age arc. Uh, 
They are essentially the 90s anime adaptation over again, but in three movies. Uh, those, I believe, are available on Netflix, hmm. which is very cool. Um, I'm pretty sure that's how I watched. So, uh, yeah, they were directed by Toshiyuki uh, Kubuka, and uh, who actually did a lot of character work design on the Lunar RPG video game series. Hmm. So if you're a big fan of Lunar, you might want to check it out uh, outside of just in general interest in Berserk. Uh, and they were animated using CGI, but in a 2D format. I think the only thing was just that they were retelling a story that we'd already seen, uh, Jake, yeah. correct? So people were like, hell yeah, but also like, we want what happens after that. We've been reading this way past the Golden Age arc. Like, what about all that other stuff? So, but still... I think that that might be a good, if you're looking towards trying to watch, get a taste of this franchise in anime form, maybe check out those films uh, because they're pretty accessible and a pretty concise retelling. As opposed to the anime adaptation in the 90s, I believe is 25 episodes, Correct. so maybe a little bit more of a commitment. Uh, but then you have Berserk 2016 and 2017. Jake, this is a weird one. Uh, I still want to maybe check out as much as I can, but... The, the Yes, it's a bizarre animation style. I have to say, I, I initially, while watching it, was like, this looks like an anime video game cutscene. Yes. Uh, like a Dragon Ball Z, like Dragon Ball Fighters or something they like that. They wish Dragon Ball Fighters. They yeah, I mean, actually, Dragon Ball the, Fighters the, is... The arc, the arc System Works team behind this. Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe actually like the Dragon Ball Xenoverse games So would be a better example. <laughs> this, uh, this one takes on the later arcs, including the Conviction arc and the uh, Falcon of the Millennium arc, and is um, uh, a... Very, very too big for its britches undertaking. Um, the memes around it uh, kind of highlight how awkward a lot of the animation was. Uh, they use it's all done in CG with uh, very crude models, and once in a while they'll go in and try and like fix a shot with a 2D animation shot. But for a lot of it, it's even by CG standards, like there's just very stiff animation. The character models aren't, like, very uh, good. And I can tell why they would go that way, because especially for these later arcs, you have yeah. gigantic amounts of characters on screen, uh, insanely complicated monster designs, and the idea of actually sitting there and drawing each and every one for what is, despite its influence, a very niche product that isn't for kids was a tough scenario. Um, there's been a lot of different kind of uh, post-ops or autopsies to kind of like figure out what went wrong, but it kind of boils down to the fact that uh, the show was taken on by a new animation studio that really had never worked on a series before, basically just did support for other more extravagant CG productions uh, called Studio Gemba, and... Um, in 2015, a trailer, like kind of a teaser was released that kind of tried to showcase what a 3D Berserk thing would look like. And you can find it if you look up 2015 Berserk anime. And it looks like pretty good. It has like a nice art style. Uh, Guts looks cool. He's chopping up a bunch of skeletons. But <laughs> technical issues quickly overwhelm the studio. Uh, they tried to incorporate this hand uh, hatching uh, filter to make it look more like the manga and integrating it didn't go well. Uh, the complicated monster designs would overwhelm the studio's computers and their animation software. Just literally, they couldn't edit anything in 3DS Max with the designs that they had originally sought out. So they had to simplify everything, which lends itself to that old video game cutscene look. 
Uh, a lot of the cat, a lot of the crew just was not experienced enough in uh, 3D animation and like production animation to like really sell certain motions. The editing is all over the place. And in fact, the uh, what's the name of the director? Um, Shin Itagaki has a pretty good uh, kind of uh, pedigree. He's worked on a lot of Studio Trigger stuff, including Dead Leaves and a few other things. But he mostly worked in very light kind of comedic uh, series, like very colorful, quick edits, cheap series. And so just the hard reality, the hard deadlines and just everything working and the sheer enormity of the source material that they had to adapt just fell apart. And the end results are kind of underwhelming. The, I think the voice acting is good. Um, the story of Berserk is really good. And if you kind of look past the awkwardness of a lot of the animation, you could still have a good time watching it. But it's just kind of considered a unfortunate, um, just kind of a whiff in terms of uh, people's desire to see the world of Berserk in full motion on their screens. Um, one thing that r people ran into was Guts is a very bloody and brutal show, and they thought they would save time by using 3D models, but these characters are like wounded and damaged and go through so many changes throughout a battle that hand recreating new battle damaged models for everything that happens on screen was actually taking up way more time than it would have just to draw them. So like all these things is just a very inexperienced crew working with technology that they just did not have the resources to implement. And uh, week after week, you could just see where they had to cut corners, and it's very unfortunate. Absolutely, but uh, don't worry. There's a really good video game that you can... Aww. Uh, there's never quite been a great Berserk video game, and I would love to see it someday. I mean, it's Dark Souls. Yeah, Dark That's Souls the, uh... is kind of it, and then a part of me wants to say, hey, From, maybe make a Berserk game, but at the same time, I don't know, because I kind of love how ambiguous the storytelling is in Dark Souls games, and... I just don't know if it would translate, like, because I I think you would need cutscenes and things for a Berserk game. I don't know if from is that's really the 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 stuff they love to do. But uh, that said, uh, there are a few Berserk video games. There's sort of the Berserk Guts is Rage, a hack and slash released on the Dreamcast in '99. Jake mentioned it earlier. It's one of the first ever games to have quick time events, so you could thank that game for that. Uh, love them or hate them, QTEs. Sword of the Berserk. The controls are quite sluggish to mimic Guts's sword style. You have to be very precise with your attacks. Uh, but the story is actually pretty decent. It takes place between volumes 22 and 23 of the manga. And so, therefore, because it's sort of a story that takes place between the chapters, things like that, it's not too bad. It has a bit of a cult status. Mm -hmm. That said, you know, not uh, blowing the doors off of anything. 2004's Berserk Millennium Falcon Saima Senki No Show is up next. That covers some of the Millennium Empire arc and is another hack and slash that's moving more into the vein of Dynasty Warriors. But it really is Berserk and the band of the Hawk that goes full Dynasty Warriors. I mean, it's made by Omega Force and... Tecmo Koi. Like, it's just, it is a Musou game. But even from, like, I remember when this game even came out and was reviewed by some people, and even those folks that do like Dynasty Warrior games, and I am not one of them, uh, even said it was, like, a not good version of a Dynasty Warriors game. Mm. Unfortunately. So, I've never touched it for that reason. It was just like, well, this is a game type you don't like, and it's a bad version of that game type, so you're really not going to like it as much as you love the source material. Those, that's really covers the video games, uh, but 
Hopefully, maybe there will be one sometime down the road. Unfortunately, we just don't know anything because, of course, on May 6, 2021, uh, Kentaro Miura died due to acute aortic dissection. Uh, as I said, heart ripped in half. It's usually due to high blood pressure, and that's why I think that you know, after hearing about his his insane schedule and everything, um, sounds like it was probably related. Uh, so take care of yourself, you workaholics. As you said, the future of the series is uncertain, as stated by Animal Comics. And we're really leading up, like I said. Griffith has built this massive city, this like giant kingdom, Falconia. And what I love too is that like all these citizens of the world are like migrating to this place because it's like a utopia. And they love Griffith, even though unbeknownst to them, he is like king of the demon monsters. Mm-hmm. And they just don't even realize like how fucked this guy is. And and instead he's like adored by everyone. Guts finally got off that fucking boat. <laughs> So we were really kind of, as Mira put in interviews, like we weren't like at the end, but we were like starting the process of the end. Mm-hmm. Kind of, you know, the big showdown between Guts and Griffith, all this kind of stuff. Uh, and you propose that you feel like, does it need an ending? And yes, I feel like, I don't know if any ending would necessarily be like completely satisfying. I at least wanted to see where he was going next because there was a lot of like, Build up and anticipation for guts to re-enter the world of Griffith a little bit um, and re-enter the you know because they've been so separate for so long and just just to see them experience Falconia and see what's gone gone down with the whole the whole kingdom of Griffith the whole band of the Hawks since they left uh, was really exciting to me I, I don't know I don't know how I would how I'm even gonna feel about. I guess it just depends on what relationship, which I don't really know, he had with his staff. And if he had like actual protégés that were super trained under him that were could actually do this. So uh, at some point, I think around 2016, he switched to a digital um, production uh, cycle. Like uh, he you know, started working with a Wacom tablet, started working with digital assistants. And he had kind of like handpicked this elite crew that went by Studio Gaga. And with them, uh, he kind of oversaw the creation of Duranki, which was kind of this uh, uh, seinen series about a mythological world with a lot of like weird Sumerian influences, as well as Gigantomaxia, which was another kind of uh, series that where he uh, went off on his own path with like kind of a um, sci-fi dystopian bug thing. Uh, but it was all kind of under the guise of like getting his team ready to help take over more responsibilities for Berserk. So like this team is kind of like sitting there. They were like ready to hop in and like do a lot of the work. Supposedly they would only help with battle scenes or draw the floors or help with backgrounds on official Berserk artwork by that point. But like they are there. And, you know, uh, as of, yeah, as of recording, Young Animal has still confirmed that they are undecided of how to move forward with the series. It's, um, I, I said my piece, like if the answer, you know, do we really need to see uh, Griffith like kill Farness and have Guts be like, no more. And like, they have a big dumb sword fight on top of a castle or something. Like, do we need to see Void and the Skull Knight brawl it out? Or <laughs> is Berserk about something more? Yeah. Is it about like, Coming to terms with the fact that the world is so unfair and the people who are the most selfish have the most power and the people can live in ignorance and worship evil people. 
And, you know, your happiness is really just about the people you find next to you and the people you want to protect. Like, is there a satisfying way to to wrap up a work that is so existentially bleak, yet so hopeful about humanity's perseverance as Berserk? I just don't know. It kind of feels like Game of Thrones in a lot of ways, where, like, the story itself is about the human condition itself to the point where any attempt to be like, and here's uh, the and end. then this person killed this person, yeah. and this is what it was about at the end. Yeah. I think this final quote from Dark Horse editor Carl Horn sums it up well. Dark Horse, uh, of course, brought Berserk uh, to the Americas. I went to open a copy of Berserk just now, and I pictured for a moment that every page was blank. To remind myself, that's how each one of Berserk's thousands upon thousands of pages began. Mira filled those pages with an epic of boldness, elegance, horror, adventure, love, redemption, perseverance, friendship, humor, an epic of contradictions, beautiful, grotesque, whimsical, cosmic. By the millions, he touched lives, inspired lives, put life into people, sometimes when we truly needed it. You who are his fans knew that already. Some of Mira Sensei's life is now in you. You were carrying the story forward. Mm. And I read that like a robot because I didn't want to cry. Honestly, it was very, very touched um, by his work and sad of his passing. It's almost too on brand that a series that is known for its unfair gut punches and <laughs> the just way it forces the reader to confront the unfairness of reality has to like kind of have this happen. Agreed. It's insane all right well that's our story on berserk uh thank you so much for listening and uh yeah if you'd like to support us further patreon.com forward slash whizbrew weekly bonus episodes five bucks a month join us for our study sessions uh for 15 dollars a month uh on our discord you can hang every sunday with us while we go over the topic we're researching and it's not just us it's this amazing community of people that have formed around that <laughs> Patreon tier and that Discord. Uh, and it's really, it was our little science experiment. We weren't sure how it was going to go. And it's been exceeded our expectations in terms of the community that shows up every week and the fun that we have. I really uh, love it. Love it, it makes so the episodes much. better. Yeah. It really does. Having people, especially when someone chimes in and is like, actually, this is my jam. And I would love to share what I love about it. Totally. And it also just helps me start the week right when it comes to my research and all that good stuff. Uh, what else? Twitch.tv forward slash Holdnators Ho. Monday, Tuesday, Friday streams. And I guess that's it. Yeah. Love me. Hate me. Do whatever you want with me, baby. All right. I'm H-Dog. Taking it over to you, Jake. I don't know what that last bit was about, but we're just going to sit in it for a second. Uh, yeah, let's just sit in for a second, dog. <laughs> uh... Hey guys, I'm a VTuber now. That's right, entertainment virtually through an avatar. And honestly, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of good giggles. We're watching weird old cartoons. We're doing tier lists. We're doing uh, we're doing indie game showcases. All all can be yours. Just go to Puppet Jared on YouTube. That's youtube.com slash Puppet Jared. All the old videos are there. You can set reminders when I'm streaming. And uh, I would love to see you. It's amazing when a Whizbrew fan pops in and is like, yo, I know you're a weird puppet man right now, but also I'm glad in the flesh universe you make a cool podcast. It really warms my heart. YouTube.com slash Puppet Jared. Also Puppet Jared on Twitter. Also at Best Jake Young on Twitter. All the great ways to engage with my personal brands. (laughs) Awesome. Love it, dude. Love the work you're doing over there. It's fucking great. Uh, And hey, always remember, never stop bruising. And keep on whizzing. This show is made possible by listeners like you. 
Thanks to our ad sponsors. You can support our shows by supporting them. For more shows like the one you just listened to, go to lastpodcastnetwork.com. Hey, Mom. First things first, thank you. It's my one-year anniversary of my decision to say, yes, I need help, and yes, I choose me. And that's the miracle. I'm lucky that the strongest person I know is my own mother. Love you, Mom. Maxwell. Be that strong person who makes the difference. If your loved one is struggling with drugs and alcohol, reach out to Karen for a different kind of addiction treatment. Visit caron.org slash lost. In a fast-paced world, every day brings new challenges and new opportunities. At Strayer University, we know a thing or two about getting and staying ahead of change. For over 130 years, we've been providing students like you with innovative tools and customized support. So you can find your way forward and always keep striving. Visit Strayer.edu to learn more. Strayer University is certified to operate in Virginia by CHEV and has many campuses, including at 2121 15th Street North in Arlington, Virginia.